All right, well, let's get into the message tonight, and let's take our Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, it's always kind of, it's always kind of difficult when you're just preaching one or two messages to come up with something that, that uh, you know, it's a lot easier to, to, to come up with messages. If you're, if you're preaching con- several messages in a row, you can put together some series and thoughts and but tonight I wanted, to, I wanted to try to give us something that would help us, something that would benefit us as we come together tonight. And I, and I want to thank the pastor for his, his confidence in me to allow me to preach. I'm very humbled that, um, very humbled that God would allow, allow someone like me to stand in this place. And, and uh, why he uses someone like me, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed at that, but I do want to thank the pastor for his confidence in me and those of you who keep coming back for more, I just really appreciate you also. But let's stand together as we read from Joshua chapter 24. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 14, if you'll read along silently with me. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God, he is a jealous God, He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you, after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and took a great stone, and set it up there under an oak, That was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. Let us pray. Father, we come before you tonight in humility. We come before you tonight as your children. And we just ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us. And Father, as the people in Joshua's day proclaimed that we will serve the Lord our God, I pray that tonight that would be the cry of everyone in this room. 
that we would stand as witness against ourselves that we have chosen to serve you, we have chosen to follow you, and we will wholeheartedly give ourselves to that purpose. Holy Spirit, we ask tonight that you would instruct us, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would guide us in truth. And we pray tonight that all that will be done will glorify and honor the name of our Savior and will be pleasing unto you, Heavenly Father. This we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Things change. When I was 20 years old, I didn't necessarily believe, nor did I necessarily understand that statement. But now, I know how true it really is. Things change. They do not remain the same. However, there are some things that never change. One thing that never changes is God the Father. In our Bibles, in Malachi 3, chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 6, we read, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Our God is an unchanging God. He is the same today that he was when Noah walked on the earth, when Moses walked on the earth, and he will remain the same throughout eternity. God the Father does not change. Another thing that does not change is Jesus the Son. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 tells us Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now this world talks about a changing Jesus all the time. They change the Lord constantly, but the Lord himself does not change. The Holy Spirit is unchanging. In John chapter 16 and verse 13, we read, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. However, man does change. Men change constantly. We we change our priorities from day to day, from week to week, from month to month, from year to year. Our priorities change. We change our attitudes. Attitudes are constantly changing. And unfortunately... Too often, Christians will change their priorities and their attitudes concerning spiritual things. I love this man we read about just a moment ago, this man Joshua. In this man Joshua, we see a believer who, from what we can see in scriptures, never wavered in his service to God, never wavered in his faith to God, never wavered in his loyalties to God. In every instance that we find of him in Scripture, he is portrayed as a faithful servant of the Lord. He was a trusted soldier. We see in Exodus chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, we read, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. He was a trusted soldier. He was, he was Moses' general. He was, he, was, he was trustworthy when it came to fighting battles for the Lord's people. Uh, we also see that he was a faithful servant. In Exodus chapter 24 and verse 13, we read, And Moses rose up, and his minister, Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. My, uh, J- Joshua was a servant of Moses, and he was faithful to serve his to serve Moses in his service to the Lord 
Only Joshua was allowed on the mount with Moses. And he was not allowed to go all the way with Moses, but he was allowed onto the mountain itself. And that speaks of his faithfulness. We also see this man Joshua was a man of faith. I want you to take your Bibles with me, please. Let's turn to the book of Numbers. Turn with me to Numbers, please. Chapter 14. I said Joshua was a man of faith. I'd like to read for for you from Numbers chapter 14, beginning at verse 6. We read, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defenses uh, departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. We see the faithfulness of Joshua and Caleb here as they encourage the people not to sin against God and doubt him in passing over Jordan into the promised land. But they stood by faith realizing that if God's will was for them to possess the land and possess it, they would. We see this man Joshua was a spirit-filled man. In Numbers chapter 27, verse 18, we read, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay thine hand upon him. He was a man, he was a spirit-filled man. And now Joshua's terrestrial life is drawing to an end. And as it does here in chapter 24, he poses a challenge to the children of God. We read it a moment ago, Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, where we read, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the god of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. In other words, he's asking, whose side are you on? Tonight, many of our brethren have failed to make a clear choice. They teeter between choosing for the Lord and choosing the world. Tonight, many of our brethren have split loyalties, misplaced values. They mistakenly believe that they can choose the Lord yet remain a friend of the world in all of its allurements. But I remind you from James chapter 4 and verse 4, where James writes, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Can you imagine what it would be like to, you went up to your wife and you said, I love you, but I want to keep my old girlfriends around. That wouldn't work very well, would it? Your wife would say, choose you this day whom ye will have. And this is a folly that will ultimately defeat a believer. For in Matthew 6.24, we see that no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And this word mammon here. Uh, denotes the goods and the possessions and the rewards of this world. To love the world is to love a life of envy, of self-sufficiency, of disobedience, 
discontentment, arrogance, and pride. And these are all the results of a poor choice. To love the Lord is to live a life of faith, loyalty, dependence, obedience, contentment, patience, kindness, and humility. And let me remind you tonight, but for the grace of God, you and I may also make poor choices and find ourselves in the camps of of the world, in the camp of the enemy, rather than in the bosom of the Lord. Let us not be like Peter, placing more faith and confidence in our own abilities in the flesh to excel in our service to God, but rather let us remember his admonition later in his life. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, we read, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. At this point of Peter's life, he realized it was not he that accomplished the works in his life. Rather, he realized that it was God working in him, doing those things that pleased him according to his own will and his own purpose. In 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11, Peter states, But the grace... Uh, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that he suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is God that establishes us. It is God that strengthens us. It is God that settles us. That's right. We are to live our life according to God's will. And according to God's purpose, not our own. Too many Christians today are living their life according to their will and and ignoring the will and purpose of God in their lives. And as we do this, we're teaching our children the same things. And we're teaching our children to, to do their own thing and not submit themselves to the will and purpose of God in their lives. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Oh yes, Joshua was a man who understood and realized that it was God and God's will and God's purpose that was primary in his life. Joshua proclaimed, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if more Christians in America took that position tonight, we would be in much better shape than we are as a nation, as well as believers. So now with the time remaining to me tonight, allow me to share some thoughts with you. Some thoughts as to how you and I can make the right choices. How that we can choose to be on the Lord's side. Some things that will help us in our daily life and daily walk with God. So let me begin tonight with number one by saying seek the right counsel. If we are going to 
be on God's side, we're going to have to seek the right counsel. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14, we read, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, there is so much that that could be said right here. I, I could preach for hours on just this one verse of Scripture. However, I choose to use the time I have tonight to focus on the right counsel. So tonight we must differentiate between good and right counsel. By the way, just because counsel is good doesn't mean it's right. For instance, there are many good financial counselors. Many of of these counselors can give you wise advice on improving your financial status. They can give you great advice on making investments and on increasing your spending power. However, what they give you might be good counsel, but it might not necessarily be the right counsel. There are many good marriage counselors and good family counselors, and they may have many helpful tips and Helpful ideas to help you in in your relationships and your family. And their counsel may be very good. However, it may not necessarily be the right counsel. Now, please understand me here. I am not attempting to demean these counselors. I certainly couldn't do any better myself than they could do in the way of giving you human counsel. But what I'm trying to stress here is that there are sources far above these human counsels. And this, it is this superior counsel that we need to seek first and foremost. And what are these superior sources? Well, first, letter A, God the Father. And we, get, we, are, we, we obtain our counsel from God the Father by prayer. In Matthew chapter 7, we read from verses 7 and 8, We read, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. One thing is for certain, and that is when we pray to the Father for his wise counsel, we will always get an answer. If you seek God's wisdom, you will receive it. For God does not withhold his wisdom from his children. And the, and, the, and the answer you receive will always be the right answer. However, it may not always be the answer you want to receive. You may not like the answer you get. But it will be the answer that God has for us. It will be the right counsel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12... Verses 8 and 9, we read of an instance of Paul going to the Lord in prayer. And we read here, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Sometimes we may go to God for advice, we may go to God for counsel, we may pray, and we may not get the answer we want. The Lord may come back and say, no. The Lord may say, no, I don't want you to have that. You need what you've got. 
It's for your benefit. It's for your good. It's for my glory. And you need to have that thing. God says, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. And this is why so many people neglect to come to God for counsel. They don't come to God because they don't want to get the right answer. What they want is someone to validate their choice. They want someone to say, yes, you're right. So they will keep looking until they find a source of counsel that will give them the advice they want, give them the answer they want. And believe me, if you look long enough, you will find a book or you will find a person that will give you what you want that will tell you what you want to hear. So first, we, the superior counsel we seek is that of God the Father. But then secondly, uh, the source of counsel very few people go to is the Word of God. And this we do through the meditating of God's Word. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, the psalmist write, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. The greatest counsel you and I will ever have is right here. It is the word of God. But some may say the word of God is a mystery. I can't understand it. Well, what you have to have is the translator. And I happen to have a translator. He's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit teaches me from God's Word. And when I'm, when I'm faithful to read, when I'm faithful to study, when I'm faithful to meditate upon God's Word, truth is revealed unto me. Remember, Jesus said the Spirit will always lead us into truth. If you take a course of action that leads you into error, it wasn't the Holy Spirit that led you there. It was your flesh. We're to meditate upon the Word of God. It is a wise and blessed man that uses his time to read and study God's Word. In Psalm 1 and verse 2 we read, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. We spend so much time fretting and worrying, so much time plotting and scheming, so much time reasoning with human wisdom, yet we neglect the most reliable source of counsel at our disposal today. The Bible is a timeless book. It is applicable to all generations at all times. It was applicable in the first century church, and it is applicable to us in the 21st century church. And if the Lord tarries, it will be applicable to my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren as well. And this is because there is nothing new under the sun. King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. Now certainly some things are new, there's technology and all these things, but, the, but when you boil everything down, it comes down to the same basic lusts and the same roots. And there is nothing new under the sun. We are not ignorant of how, where, and why Satan attacks us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul writes, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are aware of Satan's workings among us. And we should be aware of them and should not be taken by surprise by him. 
The word of God has been giving the right and wise counsel to God's people since God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. And it will continue to give the right and wise counsel unto God's people until he returns for his church. So first tonight, if we are to choose the Lord's side, then we must learn to seek the right counsel. But then secondly tonight, I'd like us to consider this. We must follow the right examples. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now this is such an important truth. Every one of us here uh, need tonight. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are all influenced by those around us. And this is supported by Scripture. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, Solomon states, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And then in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17, we read, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. There's an old saying, and I'm sure many of you have heard it, and that is, water seeks its own level. How many of you have ever heard that? Water seeks its own level. I use this saying because as a rule, people gravitate towards those that are most like they are. Within the church, gossips seem to always find other gossips. It's amazing how they, how they, they just zoom in on each other. Critics seem to always end, around, end up around other critics. Conversely, people who love to pray usually end up around others who love to pray. Those who love the word of God are those who avail themselves to the preaching and teaching of God's word. Those who care about the souls of men are those who reach out to those around them in the community. Yes, water seeks its own level, And Christians seek to form relationships with those that they are most comfortable with, those who are most like themselves. Consider Lot. In Genesis chapter 13, we read, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. Lot didn't seek the right counsel in making his decision. He he didn't follow the right example. He didn't didn't want a relationship with Abraham. He, He wanted a relationship with people that felt like he did, people that lived like he did, people that behaved like he did. Lot made his choice by what he could see. He made his choice by what he felt good about. And we know the results of that choice, don't we? He dwelt among the abominable men of Sodom. His wife was an unbeliever who disobeyed the Lord. In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 26, concerning Lot's wife, we read, but his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And very, very sadly, he ended up in incest with his own two daughters. 
In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 36, we read, Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. It doesn't seem Lot made very good choices. It seemed that Lot put himself around the wrong kind of people. He, he sought the wrong relationships. He followed the wrong examples. But now consider Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, we read, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the, re- the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now just think about this for a moment. Moses gave up the privileges of royalty. He could have been called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Just imagine the wealth he would have had, the power, the prestige that he gave up. But what in exchange did he get for this choice? You say, man, he must have got something pretty good if if he gave all that up. Well, what did he get? He got affliction, suffering, slavery. These were the results of his decision. Yet Moses was an elect son of God. And he understood that God was more important than all the wealth of Egypt. He realized that the will of God was more powerful than all the armies of Egypt. He believed that the reward of God was more to be desired than the pleasures of sin. Moses gave up what seems to be a life of ease and pleasure and authority and power. And seemingly what he, get, what he received was a, a life of slavery and suffering and sorrow. But the truth of the matter is, God gave Moses the most fulfilling life Moses could have ever asked for. Because Moses was willing to suffer for the will of God. He, he, he followed the right examples. Now given this truth, what example will we follow tonight? Will we be like Lot and make our decisions based upon what we see or how we feel? Or will we make our choices with God in mind, regardless of what it costs us, regardless of how difficult it may be? Choosing God and God's will and God's purpose above everything and everyone else. Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord And allow me to expound upon that. Whether it's easy, whether I'm sick, whether I suffer, whether I'm poor, I will serve the Lord. We are such a a bunch of spoiled, rotten people in America. We're so spoiled. We got to have bigger and better and greater all the time. But we don't care about God's will. In reality. Tonight, let us learn to make our choices based upon God's will and God's purpose. Let us follow the examples of great men in Scripture, men such as Paul, men such as all the apostles, men such as Joshua, men such as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let us, let us be gallant and courageous and follow the examples of these great men in Scripture. Let's not follow the 
let's not follow the Samsons and let's, let's not follow the Lots and those who thought about their own selves more than they did God. So if we will make right choices, we must seek the right counsel. We must follow the right examples. Then lastly tonight, we must choose with the right motives. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. And I'm going to read a few scriptures real quickly. Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to begin at verse 16. We read here, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if, you, but if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, we have no reason tonight, no reason whatsoever to doubt that this young man was sincere concerning his adherence to the Pharisaical law. We have no reason to doubt that. He chose to live his life under what he perceived as righteousness. I have no reason to doubt that he was attempting to live a holy life. However... I do have reason to question his motive in doing so. You see, Jesus did not rebuke this young man. He didn't call him a liar. He didn't call him a hypocrite. But notice that Jesus did address his heart of service. For Jesus knew what was in his heart. And in Matthew 19.21, we just read, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. You see, Jesus knew that this young man came to him in pride, desiring to exalt himself in the eyes of everyone around him. After all, he kept the law perfectly. And he, no doubt, believed that Jesus would have no choice but to acknowledge his holiness in front of this gathering. But what Jesus did do was question his motive. Jesus said, what's in your heart? Why are you keeping the law? Why are you doing what you are doing? What is your motive tonight? Why are you here? Over the past 30 plus years of ministry, I have witnessed many men coming to church, many for the wrong reasons. I've witnessed some men coming to, hoping to relieve the pressures they are under, coming, thinking that coming to church is going to give them some sort of uh, get-out-of-jail-free card. I've, I've witnessed some coming because their marriage is failing, and, and they, they think that if they come to church, God's going to heal their marriage. Some come because they are losing their children, they're wayward children and rebelling, and they can't get them under control. So they think that if they bring them and throw them in Sunday school for a week, they're going to they're turn around. Some be- come because they desire praise and power. We actually had a man come to this church at one time who got mad and left because he couldn't be a deacon. 
He, he just wanted the name. He wanted the title. He wanted the authority. And when he found out because of a divorce in his life he couldn't be a deacon, he left, never came back. Now, our motive should be out of worship to our king. That's why we should be here tonight. We should be here tonight to worship God. We should be here tonight to praise his name. We should be here tonight because he is worthy. We need to, we need to choose for the Lord, but we need to choose with the right motives, for the right reasons. Not because of what, it will gain, what we can gain, but because of what we can give to God. In John chapter 4 and verse 23, Jesus stated, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Why do we come? Not, not for fanfare. Not for standing ovations. Not for the praise of men. But our motive should be just sincere worship. That should be our motive. We should come to praise the name of the Lord. In Psalm 22, verses 22 and 23, we read, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel. Why do we come tonight? To praise God. To worship Him. To hear the teaching of His Word. So that we might be stirred and challenged and and, and, and strengthened to live our lives to His glory, for His honor. That's why we're here tonight. That should be our motive. So much more could be said and So much more should be said. But I'll close tonight with this question. Whose side are you on? As Joshua proclaimed unto the people of Israel, choose you this day who ye will serve. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve self? Are you going to serve God or are you going to love the world? You young people here, you teenagers, I've challenged you many times already this school year. Love the Lord God with all your heart. Live your life to his glory, for his honor. Praising him and worshiping him and serving him in sincerity and in truth. And all you parents in this room, raise your children with the fear and admonition of the Lord. And all of ye, his saints, serve him for his glory. Serve him for his honor. If you're called upon to suffer in order to serve the Lord, then suffer gladly. We're often weak, aren't we? We're a nation of pleasure seekers. We're soft. But it's time that we understand that we have been bought with a price and our lives is not our own. And let us learn to choose to be on the Lord's side. Seek seek the right counsel in your life. Follow the right examples in your life.
and choose God with the right motives. Let us pray. Our Father, we are so thankful to you. We're so unworthy, Lord. As we sit here tonight, we are so unworthy of your grace, so unworthy of your mercy and your love, yet we know that you love us. And we know that we are your children. And so we ask that you would help us tonight. You would strengthen us. Help us, Lord, to seek the right counsel. Help us to follow the right examples. and Help us to serve you with the right motives. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you, Lord, for it's all you that works. It's your grace and we just love you. Thank you for this time now. I pray that you'd bless this message. Use it to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.